Welcome to Scandal.K12.US. Our Scandal K-12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. This curriculum contains references and potential descriptions of crimes against minors in the field of education. Listener discretion is always advised. And now, time for morning announcements. Good morning, Scandal K-12 students, home of the Fighting Rats. Go Rats! Students, today we're going to have a two-part episode focusing on the E-Rate program, a federal program intended to help rural and under-resourced schools stay up to date with technology. While the program has had success in helping many schools connect to the internet age, it is a regular target of corrupt contractors, school officials, and random government wonks. We're going to explore that program in depth, and then in our next episode, we'll look at one example of the largest to-date instance of fraud in a set of episodes we're calling E-Rate-Tation. Now let's get in the mood. Get in the mood for technology. To do that, we're going to look at a few stories where our interconnectivity is making the world a smaller space and allowing criminals from all over this world to connect to our local schools and rob them blind. First, we'll start with Broward County, a large school district in Florida that includes Fort Lauderdale. The district is one of the 10 largest in the nation. It was recently hit with a $40 million price tag for the release of their computer data. While the district officials claimed they were not going to pay, hackers posted a transcript of a conversation with an unidentified Broward School representative who offered to pay $500,000 to retrieve the data. According to the Tampa Bay Times, the hackers initially demanded $40 million, but dropped the price to $10 million, which is still a lot of money. But we have to consider that the school budget is $4 billion, almost as much as the entire gross national product of some nations, such as Barbados and other ones we were too lazy to look up. So anyway, the group stopped negotiating and currently is sitting on a pile of data. Some of it is public information, but other data could be highly sensitive personal data relating to students and staff in Broward County. The group behind this theft and ransom is suspected to be the Conti Gang, which may be based in St. Petersburg or anywhere that had a strong internet connection. And now that negotiations have broken down, the criminals are threatening to sell on the quote-unquote dark web any and all personal and confidential details they have obtained. Well, we're not sure why someone would want to buy report cards, but we'll tell you that if there is a data point, there's always a buyer in this strange digital world. Whatever the origin or whoever the group or groups are, or if it is stealing data or locking entire systems down, there's a definite rise in attacks on school systems nationwide since these targets often have large sums of money and numerous employees who may be vulnerable to the sort of phishing emails that are common entry points. According to reporting published in Insurance Journal, a trade publication of the insurance industry, quote, overall ransomware attacks disrupted learning at a 1,681 schools, colleges, and universities in 2020. And a at least so far in 2021, 544 institutions have been targeted. According to the same publication, the amount of money lost has gone way up, with the average haul going from about $115,000 in 2019 to $312,000 in 2020. The highest ransom paid to date is a whopping $10 million, 
which is up from a $5 million ransom payment made in 2019. This adds up to real money and additional headaches for school districts already grappling with so many issues. And it isn't just the big districts that are being targeted. According to WPR.org, an affiliate of NPR, the Stanley Boyd School District in Wisconsin, which is about a half an hour drive from downtown Eau Claire, said that hackers accessed the direct deposit file used to pay employees and resulted in the theft of $150,000. While some of the money has been recovered, and they say that insurance will cover the rest, we can rest assured this will increase premiums for the district and the overall cost of doing business. This district has just over a 1,000 students, so again, large districts and small districts are being targeted. With educators and administrators thrown into the virtual world, the number of emails have increased with staff, agencies, parents, and the students themselves. Students who may have emails that are official and district-provided, or they may use some Gmail addresses as a plead for an extension on an assignment or raise some other issue. It is understandable that people in these institutions make mistakes. There are steps that educators and others can take to avoid being the weak link in the online system and costing, perhaps, your district millions of dollars. One source of information is onguardonline.ru.biz. Oh, sorry, correction. We mean onlineonguard.gov. That's onlineonguard.gov. Do not go to that other site. We, we don't know what it is. This is a website created and maintained by the Consumer Trade Commission that, as well as giving tips to educators, also has presentations and activities that classroom educators can share with their students, allowing them to be safer online. The simplest tip from the website is to always check the email address. Never click on files unless you are certain it is sent by someone you know. One action we use at scandal.k12.us is sending a confirmation email to whoever sent us a link. Just a quick confirmation works. Also, avoid the sort of open hotspots one finds in airports and most hotels when doing sensitive work. We can't always protect every transaction, but do check out the resources at onlineonguard.gov. And now we'll move from the world of hackers to a federal program intended to help teaching institutions connect to hackers with updated technology, and which is today's main announcement. Coming straight from Section 254 of the 1996 Telecommunications Act, the program known as E-Rate is intended to provide universal communication service to American educational institutions at a reasonable rate in order to allow schools to install or upgrade service at a discount, as well as ensure the school or library receives a rate similar to other commercial customers. Since we know it is common for companies to overcharge schools, libraries, and government entities, We'll be doing a future episode on school construction where this will be made all too clear. Anyway, funding for the E-Rate discount program is simple. E-Rate funds are gathered by telecommunications companies. It's listed in the Universal Service Fund fee, and it generally is an 8.7% tax on your monthly phone bill, or about $1.04 a month, or $12.48 a year, which is the cost of takeout chicken pho from Anna's Kitchen, 844 Willow Avenue, Suite A3, Hercules, California. While each one of us chips in very little money individually, considering that about 90% of Americans have a landline or a cell phone, 
This equates to about $2.5 billion a year. What schools and libraries are supposed to get is connectivity, telecommunications services, internet access, and internal connections in those schools and libraries. It's strange to think, but these were non-existent for the most part in the year 2000 when most classrooms didn't even have a phone. Even after an initial grant, a school may require additional discount money since just a few years later after installing the initial technology, there is a constant need to update systems and equipment in order to keep up with the changes we see in technology. You see, the E-Rate program technically is not a grant, it's a discount. However, this discount can range anywhere from 20% to 90% of the total cost of a project with E-Rate making up the difference. School districts or states still need to cover some costs. We won't get into the other funding streams needed, but these generally will be other grants, district tax levies, or additional funding such as if the school was given Title I funding, which can lead to a very complicated budgetary process. But we'll just shelve that for right now. Now, as you are carefully listening, students, already you may be assuming at any time that there is a huge pot of money, there'll be a lot of waste and fraud, and you are correct. In this episode, we're focusing today on the fraud, since while the waste is a fun topic and we can really get our government waste our money hats on tight, waste is part of any transfer of power, whether electricity or friction or money. All projects have a certain amount of waste. That's why you have a trash can at your desk. What we want to focus on today is fraud. Now, using too many post-its on your scrum board may get you in trouble on your 360 review, but helping yourself to as many post-its as you can from the company office supply room can get you frog-walked out of the building. Well, back when we worked in buildings, when we had offices, when we had office supply rooms. Ugh, those were the days. But wait, let's actually start with the waste, actually. It's just too much fun. And of course, with an eye toward limited government, the E-Rate program administrators claim that only 1% of the money collected is used for administration, according to Mel Blackwell, Vice President of External Communications at the administering organization of E-Rate. This doesn't sound like waste, actually. 1% spent on administering $2.5 billion? It sounds like the opposite. Consider the old expression, penny-wise, pound-foolish. Rather than running the program itself, the FCC subcontracts the work of program administration out to an organization called the Universal Service Administrative Company, a private non-for-profit corporation. For many years, the E-Rate program saw 35,000 applications per year, but employed only one auditor. That is very little policing. Can you think of a jurisdiction in the United States where there's one cop for 35,000 people? The state of New York has roughly 3.3 cops per thousand civilians. Now, of course, as the program matured, this would change as the fraud cases grew. But by 2004, there were still only about 200 audits on a caseload of over 200,000 grants that had been dispersed. The Universal Service Administrative Company also seems to be a strange place to work, at least according to anonymous reviews on Glassdoor.com. One former staffer said that it was a, quote, Great place to get paid to do nothing, and, quote, just overall, weird. According to another former employee, quote, Lots of people I interact with just spent the day wasting time online or booking useless meetings to talk about things like television shows, which actually sounds quite fun. I mean, should we watch The Throne or Regency? Another alleged senior software engineer said that it was a, quote, A good place to work if you want to retire here or have no interest in growth. 
whatever the reviews, whatever it's like working there, the company remains in charge of disbursements. And perhaps they also hold a tiny little part of responsibility in the many, 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 many frauds that have plagued the program for over the decades. With so many fraud cases, we'll just dig into a few juicy examples. We're going to start our journey in 2003 when E-Rate was barely eight years old, but already entered a life of crime, having caught a case more than 40 times. From there, we're going to go on a proverbial airplane to visit the lovely island, not a nation, Puerto Rico, and check in on how $100 million in E-Rate money was misused there in 2002. And then we're going to jump ahead to 2009 and mess with Texas and a few other millions of misappropriated money before landing in 2018 in lovely Ramapo, New York, an exurbia of New York City where seven were recently charged in a scam that diverted over $14 million. Now, before you get wild with anger, remember your personal contribution to this fund every year represents 4.8 E minus 7% of the total. Yeah, you didn't think you'd need scientific notation knowledge for this episode, but you do. We're sure you have an old Texas instrument scientific calculator somewhere in your desk. So we'll just wait until you get it so you can check our math. Or we'll not wait. Just, we want to remind you that it's not that much money in the larger scheme of things. But because it's not that much individually, unfortunately, that means most people don't even know the program exists or closely follow the disbursement of those funds, which, as we said about how many cell phones and landlines are in the U.S., adds up to a lot of money overall. One person who was paying attention was House Representative from Colorado, Thomas G. Tarancredo. Long before cancel culture was a thing, this Republican member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee included a bill called the E-Rate Termination Act. It seems that his best solution to reforming the program was just to get rid of the program. While the bill was introduced into the House and had 10 co-sponsors, unfortunately, it died in committee and the program continued. There seemed to be a good reason for this attempt to cancel the program since by the time 2003 turned into 2004, as we said, there was over 40 cases of fraud, ranging from large players such as IBM who are accused of, quote, circumventing competitive bidding requirements, and Cisco Systems, who was slapped on the risk for selling to Atlanta schools at an inflated price, as well as old-fashioned mom-and-pop fraud cases by companies and regional players like Connect2, that's the number two, Internet Networks, Incorporated, a Staten Island Internet pro Services provider who built the program in a case that marked the first time that a fraud accusation had led to the filing of formal criminal charges in the E-Rate program. And just to think, the E-Rate program's first criminal prosecution was when it was just a few years old. In the Connect2 case, the owner, John Angelides, was found guilty in 2003 and retired early to serve some of his golden years in the sunny confines of one of our darkest prisons. In 2004 hearings, Representative Joel Barton, another critic of the program, called the program, quote, a big candy jar of money. Now, we have to remember, and this is for bonus points, that this is the same representative from Texas who is today better known for having apologized to BP CEO for how mean the government had been to the BP company after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill basically killed their third coast. He's also known as the representative who introduced a bill to recriminalize sodomy in Texas, as well as made 2011's poster boy in the Most Corrupt Report 
authored by the group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. So, criticism of the program by Barton may be tainted by some of his other activities, or maybe it is a big, quote, candy jar. Since E-Rate's inception, there has been a constant drumbeat to apply cancel culture to E-Rate by many in government. Nevertheless, others argue that there's a good reason to keep the program going, even with regular and occasional corruption diverting funds. According to a House subcommittee on oversight and investigations, while there have been many instances of abuse of the program for years, the program has been delivering on the intended promise of getting schools up to date with communications technology. So we guess the trade-off is that some money slips through the very large cracks, but eventually more will benefit from the program than will benefit from criminal activities. So now that we have a working understanding of the program, we can examine in more detail one example of corruption that took down an entire Department of Education. For that, we will travel to sunny Puerto Rico, but that'll be for our next installment of E-Ratation. There's just too much going on here to fit into one episode. It's a lot of information. However, we have time for one last story. For this, we're going to switch gears from the world of the cyber and the digital to old-fashioned in-person crimes and misdemeanors. According to the York Daily Record, number one news source for all things York, Springsbury Township Police filed an arrest warrant for Andrew Charles Alton, 23, of no fixed address, charging him with burglary, institutional vandalism, and theft. According to the complaint filed, a man experiencing homelessness found himself a home in the middle school on more than one occasion. He was making himself comfortable at York Suburban Middle School, where fittingly the mascot is the Trojans, which we're hoping are the Greek warriors who smuggled themselves inside using a horse rather than Trojans uh, brand of, well, we won't go there. Anyway, this wannabe Trojan secreted himself in the school for days, having gained access to the school through a broken window. Well, by this we mean a window he smashed open with a rock. Altland is accused of rummaging around in various classroom desks, taking petty cash from an, the office, eating food from the cafeteria, and as we said, making himself very, very comfortable, often lounging in offices with no pants on, trying on school t-shirts and attire, or wandering the hallways completely nude, just letting everything hang out, you know, Trojan style. In addition to his naturalist adventures, Altland is alleged to have defecated on the floor several times because, well, let's face it, the alternative is to use a middle school bathroom. I mean, we here at Scandal School can certainly understand why he avoided the toilets in a middle school. Altland was discovered by a classroom educator as he was using a hot plate in her classroom to warm something up. While she called the police, he managed to escape before they arrived. After weeks of searching, of course for a man with no fixed address, York police finally rehomed Altland to a correctional institution where he is held without bond at the time of this recording and he faces a number of charges that will at least provide him with a fixed address for time. As always, we'd like to thank our supporters, especially you, Matt. You've always been there. I'm not sure if you've been listening recently, but in the event you are, we seriously owe you a beer. We'd like to thank the contributors on Free Sound. We'll list the contributors on our show notes page. And honestly, at the time of recording, we're behind in our homework for that page. But we'll get the links up. We'll also put up a link to the online onguard.gov site. If you have a story or want to drop us a line, 
reach out via email at scandalk12us at gmail.com. Of course, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail message, you can do so at 518-945-8553. Or if you want to go into the dark, dank depths of Twitter, you can do that and visit us at at scandalus. We're going to say it's good to be back to school, and we hope you have a safe and scandal-free beginning to your school year.